0: This is Pragmatic, a weekly discussion show contemplating the practical application of technology. Exploring the real-world trade-offs, we look at how great ideas are transformed into products and services that can change our lives. Nothing is as simple as it seems. I'm Ben Alexander, and my co-host is John Chidgy. John, what's up?
1: Uh, what's up is, um, this is episode one of Pragmatic, so I'm um, very excited. I've been wanting to do this show for quite some time. And uh, I'm glad it's coming together. So I guess I want to start with our first topic. And uh, that's about the iPhone, but the iPhone hardware. Something I don't think is really discussed as much as, as perhaps it could or should be. And I just want to start out by asking you which, uh, which iPhones you've personally owned.
0: Um, let me think. My fir- the first iPhone I got was a- an iPhone 4. I was a late adopter. (laughs) I had a a BlackBerry Q, which was a a stellar piece of technology that I purchased because AT&T had terrible reception in the apartment complex I lived in when the first iPhone came out, and that bad decision just spiraled for a number of years before I finally got the 4 but I got I got the 4 and I bought that maybe probably 2 months before the 4S came out and did a trade did the swap thing and yeah so the 4 4S and then now now the 5 I haven't haven't upgraded from the 5
1: okay so when you got a 4 did you go on Verizon with a CDMA phone or did you just go with AT&T
0: I had a Sprint phone actually
1: okay which so is sprint. uh Sprint, which each, is
0: yeah, CDMA, yeah, CDMA, it, but terribly slow at the time, and still pretty bad.
1: Okay, fair enough. So, do you do you keep your iPhones when you're finished with them, or do you tend to pawn them off, palm them off to other family members, or sell them, or do you just keep them for posterity?
0: Um, well, I like to play the the trade in swap game and and try to to play the carriers against each other. So sometimes <laughs> I trade them in, but I, actually, I. I yeah, I, I do still have a 4s. I don't have my original one, which which I'm really sad about because I I felt a great emotional attachment to that phone, and uh, I I felt bad the you know the moment after I traded it in, which is silly, I guess, but there it is. Oh. But um, yeah. So I, I like to keep my I like to keep my gear. It's a I got a little pack rat habit.
1: Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting you should say that because. My my background now with the iPhone hardware is that uh, it wasn't available in Australia, but I had, my brother-in-law was on holidays over in Las Vegas at the time and I asked a favor if he could grab me a an iPhone uh, 2G, the original, and bring it back with him. I realized I'd have to jailbreak it and I'd been studying up all of the jailbreaking methods so that I could jailbreak it and unlock it and use it here in Australia. Because if you didn't do that, it would only work on, on AT&T. So... Uh, I did that and used that for my phone for nearly two years and then I bought a 3GS and then I my wife bought a, an iPhone 4 a GSM model and then I bought myself a 4S and recently I just got myself a 5S. So, I've had most of the iterations of the hardware design. And that's one of the reasons that I want to talk about this is my experience as using these phones for a long period of time. But I also want to talk a lot about... Because my, my background, as in radio in particular, I find the way that Apple have made their design trade-offs to be quite interesting as as the design has evolved. So, uh, I think we we'll might start with, you yeah, know, at the beginning. So... The iPhone, it's as good a place as any. Yeah, exactly. The iPhone really was very much unlike anything else that I'd, I'd ever seen. There may well be phone, may well have been phones out there that had a metal back with uh, a, a large glass screen, but I'm reasonably sure that there weren't. It was sort of... Someone can point that out if I'm wrong, but I'm reasonably sure it was unique in that respect. So it, it started out with... I think it's four-fifths of the back was covered by aluminium and it was rounded at the sides and the top and there was uh, one-fifth of it or thereabouts at the bottom was a black plastic uh, cover and it had a chrome bezel around the outside and a, and a glass screen. And that that's, that's, that shape has stay, pretty much stayed the same since the beginning. It's gotten slightly taller, of course, but since then, but with the five. But essentially that sort of design to stay the same but what's interesting is when you start to look at how Apple have evolved that and I think that one of the issues that they had with the original iPhone was the transition between the aluminium back and the plastic at the bottom is very, how should I say, very pronounced so you run your finger across it and once you start doing it you find yourself always doing it at least that's what I found And apparently, it was one of those things that if Apple had it their way, I'm convinced that they would have an all-steel back. But you can't do that. And the problem with that is because you've got the screen on the front, there's shielding you simply have to have in the phone inside. And if you have an all-metal back, then there's no antenna. There's no way for your antenna to actually get out. So... If that bottom was was if that back was entirely aluminium, then the phone would, would get very little reception. It'd probably get some, but very very little. It wouldn't perform well.
0: So that's why, like, um, my iPad Mini, I have the LTE option. That's why there's the plastic thing on the top, right?
1: Absolutely. So the bottom okay. line, yeah, it, with radio, it comes down to the idea of a Faraday cage, which is something that Mr. Faraday, Michael Faraday, figured out, whereby if you actually kill off... Because a radio signal is an electromagnetic wave. If you kill off the electric field, then the magnetic field will not propagate any significant distance. It'll have near-field effects, but it won't have any... The, the radio wave, the EM wave itself, will not propagate. And hence, if you, for example, put... Um, there's, a, there's a movie, uh, DME. It was uh, had Will Smith in it, and Gene Hackman, it was uh, Enemy of the State. And he had this room... Gene Hackman had this room well it wasn't a room it was like a literally a cage and you would walk into the cage and there was like wire mesh all around him and he said oh it's uh, it's completely cut off from the outside world and and he was essentially standing inside a Faraday cage and if you put solid metal well that's the end of it there's, there's no holes there's no way it's going to get out so without any signal getting out you're not going to get any signal in you're not getting any reception and your antenna is just not going to work so the attraction for a plastic back phone is obvious, and that is, well, its plastic is transparent to, ele- to an electric field and a magnetic field, therefore, you're going to get very good performance out of your antenna. How, and that kind of pushed them down that road where they had to have a part of the iPhone, original iPhone had to be RF transparent, it had to be plastic. So, what do they do? They put it at the bottom. And one of the trends that you see well i guess i'm getting ahead of myself we'll stick with the the tg for a moment. Is
0: the bottom point. is is the bottom the best place to put that considering how people are going to be using their phones and where and where towers are
1: well that's an interesting that's an interesting point they put it at the bottom of the phone not for signal reception reasons they actually put it in there for uh ra- radiation absorption reasons so one of the things that Phone, mobile phones have to go through is uh, they, they're given a SAR rating and the rating essentially is how much radio energy is absorbed by the tissue in the body, in the head, the hand that sort of thing, different parts of the body and phones are rated and they either pass the guidelines or they don't the guidelines were brought about when there was a great concern that people were getting tumours from all the radio energy and you would hear stories about this on current affairs programs whereby someone has an MRI of their head and there's a strikingly uh, mobile phone antenna-shaped tumor in their head. And you know, it's it, whether or not that was true or not, there was a perception that it was a problem, and it's shown that it, high amounts of RF radiation will damage living tissue. So there is no question that there could be some harm there. The issue is how much causes harm, and that's what's debated. So, their attempt to regulate this was well. Let's get this away, far away from the, the head as possible. So the, see. the logical place is the bottom of the phone because the earpiece is at the top. Therefore, the bottom makes the most sense. So is
0: the shield? So the shielding on the screen that you were just mentioning is yes. that you know presumably is, is not, nothing. You know we're not having radiation shoot straight out of that into our into our brain, no. right? It's coming out the. The little plastic port and bouncing around.
1: Yeah, the, it's not completely. It's not a completely perfect shield. So that's 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 the point. Is that the screen itself is will will still let some radiation through. It, it, it in itself will create radiation, not not at cellular frequencies, but it'll still create radiation d- due to all of the the currents passing through everything in the screen. That's also inevitable. But in terms of the cellular signal you're not going to get as much of the cellular signal through the screen as you are out the back. So, the idea is keep it as far away from the head as possible and as far away from the body as possible. Funnily enough, though, that's usually where people hold their hand. So, I mean, when I hold the phone now, I try and I sort of hold it as a... I don't know how to describe it, like a pincer grip a little bit with my thumb and my middle and index finger on the other side of the phone, in the center of the phone, as I hold up against my ear. And maybe i'm overthinking how i should hold my phone but it's it's certainly quite possible that that's what i'm doing but alas that's how i do it because i just don't like because i because i know i know sub, i know consciously where the antenna is and i'm like i'm not going to put my hand on the antenna so but i don't think a lot of people don't think about it or don't realize it or both i guess so you know in any case in the original iphone the Wi Fi and Bluetooth antennas were combined, as was the cellular antenna. Well, the cellular antenna was a separate strip. Well, called a strip, not really a strip, it's kind of like a strange hieroglyphic pattern um, of copper on a flexible circuit board. Underneath the black plastic, the Wi Fi and Bluetooth is on the same physical piece of flexible circuit board but it's a separate antenna. So the Bluetooth and the Wi-Fi share the same, essentially the same piece of copper as an antenna, which you can do uh, because essentially they operate on on different frequencies. But back at that point, they were still using a Marvel Wi-Fi chip and a Cambridge BlueCore, which was for the Bluetooth. So they essentially had two separate chips. And when one chip wanted to use it and the other one didn't, they would signal and try and avoid interference and so on. So the original iPhone and, in fact, the uh, the 3G had that same setup, and that was the Wi-Fi was uh, it was 802.11 b and g, and I think it was Bluetooth uh, 2.0. So all of the antennas that were required, when I say all of them, there are only two because the original iPhone had no GPS. So that was essentially two antennas, and they were very close together, and they're both hidden behind that black plastic strip at the bottom. So that was the original iPhone. And and
0: I mm. j- yeah, I'm I'm tossing uh images into the into the show notes here as we go through it and there the it's this very I'm lo- am I looking at the right thing it, it just looks like this jagged edged piece of metal. I actually have a yeah. here I'll send you a link to it.
1: Yep. What I've done in the show notes is I've put together a list of, it's predominantly um it's Predominantly
0: a oh have you already done all the work? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay.
1: All right. I've That's got, fine. Yeah, it's okay. I what, what basically um in in preparation I, I've I've been following this stuff for a long time. I've also disassembled my original iPhone and the 3GS and a few iPod touches. So I I've been seen inside them myself. But at the same time, I absolutely love an Antech and what I fix it do. I've got to say yeah. I. I I'm a bigger fan of Anantech, but unfortunately, they don't always drill down to the deepest possible level. Sometimes they have; sometimes their reviews are fantastic in that way. But more recently, my favorite
0: Ant- my favorite Anantech review is that is the review, the teardown of the USB charger plug. Yes, was, I think it was the most amazing thing I've ever read. Yeah, Th- that much uh, detail going I talk about flybacks and all this stuff. I had no idea even existed and. Anyways, I'm sure I'm sure we'll we'll actually discuss that at some point. But, oh, I'm sure we'll okay. get to it. So the, I got gotcha.
1: you. Yeah. So bottom line is, there's a lot of links in the show notes that I've put in there for you all. Okay. From iFixit and Anantech, I didn't just go through and say, you know, here's the teardown, here's the teardown. I I went to have a look at the ones that best illustrated, because some of them are actually repair replacements for Wi-Fi GPS antennas and so on, and they give you a much better view in that than the generic teardown of the specific parts that I'm talking about. So, that was the original iPhone 2G. So, now we move forward to the 3G. And the 3G, had, of course, had an all-plastic back. It still kept the, the Chrome bezel and, of course, the screen and everything. Nothing else changed, really, in that respect. It was just that the back was plastic, and that gave them a lot more flexibility... In some respects but oddly enough they didn't really need to do it because well the reality was that the antenna is still at the bottom and it's still of similar dimensions to that which was used on the 2g not they were different of course but essentially of a similar size so they could have had they wanted to stuck with the aluminium back but they didn't because i believe that they were concerned about two things the first one, and as I said before, I alluded to before, was the transition between the materials. So, the transition between the aluminium and the plastic was very obvious once you once you found it. And mine sort of, I mean, it's a phone. It gets dropped occasionally, unfortunately. it's That's reality. And when it does happen, sometimes you'll get a very minor buckle or a dint or it'll simply undulate slightly such that it doesn't sit flat and I think that would have irritated the hell out of them. But the second reason that I don't, I don't think they liked it is uh, symmetry. One of the things that Apple are really big on is product symmetry. If you look at it, if you look at their products and you draw a line down the middle, they go to reasonably decent lengths to make sure that they are as symmetrical as they can be. So, when you look at an iPhone... 5s for example and you draw a line halfway down the height well which i say a line across the short the short side of it top and the bottom they look essentially the same the difference of course okay fine the top's got the flash and the, the camera on it okay but other than that it's 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 symmetrical you have the same sh- size on the top and the bottom it's very symmetrical just like the front is the front symmetrical as well i mean yeah apart from of course the subtle differences between the FaceTime camera and the slot for the head, head earpiece and the home button but essentially it is symmetrical so that sort of symmetry I think also bugged them they they went to an all plastic back and that solved the symmetry problem but the problem that I I have with that is that it became yet another plastic phone so, there's all sorts of other, you know, reasons why that's a good or a bad thing. Obviously, the durability piece is one thing, but it also made the phone feel less expensive, I think. It, you know, I, I hate to say cheaper. It's 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 a bit, I don't know, maybe, that's, maybe this is the right word, but I, I don't like to say it because it wasn't a cheap phone and what it did was still amazing. And therefore, you expect that it would be a bit more classy or polished or expensive feeling and they were in your hand whereas yeah and i think that the the, the steel sorry the aluminum back of the original iphone still felt better but in any case the 3g had the curved the curves on the plastic around the edges felt very comfortable in your hand because it was it had a it had a lump on the back so it was sort of a, sort of like it, it would sit in the palm of your hand much more readily than an iphone 2g that had a flat back However, at the same time, you then put it on the table and, of course, you don't put your phone face down on the table. You want to protect your screen. You'll sit it face up, which meant that it never sat flat on the table. So, that oh, was a real. really? Yeah. So, that was a bit of a pain. It was, it was a pain on hard surfaces. Obviously, on soft surfaces, you know, like a towel or a cushion or, or a bed or a pillow or something, it didn't matter. But when you're on a desk... Or a bench, it was noticeable and annoying. I I always really like that
0: the sides
1: are are flat too on the on the
0: four and up. Yeah. Uh, so I can just set the set the phone up, and it looks like a monolith out of two thousand one. Yeah. Or I can set it sideways and have a little movie player. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's silly, but I I kind of hope they never change that because it's it's a useful feature.
1: Absolutely. So. And I don't... I'm not sure if they will, I guess. That's the... Who knows what the future holds, but... Yeah. So. Yeah. So, okay. The 3G continued on with the Marvel Wi-Fi uh, chipset and the same Bluetooth radio. It was a BlueCore uh, Blue 6, I think it was, in the in the 3G. And in that case, uh, its performance was exactly the same in that respect. But when they... Now we move to the 3GS... Uh, the 3gs oh sorry um i've uh, I, one thing i've neglected to mention was the addition of gps so in, in the 3g they added gps and the gps used the same antenna assembly essentially as as the Wi-fi and the bluetooth so they all shared the same antenna and you can and again you can get away with that because gps is is essentially a receiver and again it's on a different set of frequencies so you can filter out the other frequencies either side just give it a bit of copper to pick up the signals from the satellites and then go through a process of filtering out the adjacent frequencies and decoding it. So, that was not such a... That's not so surprising really. A lot of people sort of say, oh, where's the GPS antenna or where's the Wi-Fi where's the Bluetooth antenna? I say, well, they're essentially the same piece of metal but the signals are essentially extracted by different different chips. So, there's a GPS chip, there's a Wi-Fi chip which is the Marvel and there was the Bluetooth chip which was the uh, the (sighs) BlueCore. so and that was the way it was in the 3gs again bottom of the phone as i said same position essentially as the iphone 2g the original so the 3gs in terms of its hardware it again it, it didn't change really except for what was inside so same antennas same everything except that they changed the chip to they moved away from the marvel chipset and the blue cores and they went to the broadcoms so they've been with broadcom ever since and the Broadcom chip had uh, one advantage and that was that, well, it included the Bluetooth and the Wi-Fi in the one chip and it was also lower power than the other two. So, it was an all-in-one solution, which is always better. Reducing chip count is always better. So, at that point, it got to uh, Bluetooth 2.1, but that was pretty much it. It was, uh, I think it added... Uh, it was A, B, and G for the Wi-Fi, but still no N. And still only two point four gigahertz Wi Fi. And and at the time, so this would have
0: been two thousand nine. Yes. So trying to think, trying to think. so so it so so people were probably complaining about that, right? At that time,
1: yeah, people were saying that why doesn't this have n? Because all right. of Apple's routers at the time I had n, I believe that were available. So yeah, I think
0: so. That sounds yeah,
1: right. That's right. But yeah. when when they rectified that with the four, of course. So, I don't really have too much to say about the 3GS because it's essentially the same design as the 3G. It had a different antenna and a slightly different design of the printed circuit board, again, because it was handling... uh, I think it was an additional uh, frequency band, but essentially, it was the same kind of design. It was a printed circuit board at the bottom of the phone and, you know, nothing new to report, essentially. So, the GPS, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth all shared the same antenna. The only difference is the chipset behind it. So, all in all... A 3GS was, um, you know, from a hardware design point of view, not much of an iter- an iteration. And I'm right, really, I'm it
0: was more of it. It was really about the apps at that point, right? That yes. that's when things were starting to take off. And, yes. and I, I think really that's when it became more of a, a mass market device too.
1: Absolutely. At least oh, that's yes.
0: my perception
1: of it. Yeah. Yeah. The, so that's when it took off. The, the iPhone 2G was very much a niche. Uh, product, I don't want to say a fanboy product. That's not really true, but it was an aspirational product, perhaps. Right. The 3G brought badly needed GPS in and reeled in a few more people. And the 3GS, as the app store was taking off, that became the first real mass market and phone. And that was a mass market iPhone that really took off. And since then, it just never looked back. It just keeps getting bigger every year. And, and that's amazing to me. In any case, um, trying to focus on the hardware side of it for the moment anyway, we'll move on to the iPhone 4, which is, I think, the most interesting design development that they made along the way. So, I think that they wanted to go back to a more expensive-feeling device. They wanted to get away from the plastic back. And when I first heard that they were going to use a glass back I laughed but then you go and hold this thing in your hand and you realise just how amazingly good that feels how solid it felt it did feel expensive it felt I think like the 4 and the 4S I think to me felt like the most solid sturdy expensive phone I've ever owned whether they were or not that's just how they felt The glass back had a beautiful finish. And honestly, in the whole time I had a 4S and my wife had a 4, we never broke a front or a back screen. So, there you have it. But in terms of the actual radio design, the revolutionary part of that... I say revolutionary. It's kind of... Yeah and no. They put the antenna around the outside of the band. So, the band around the outside, which is stainless steel band. So, very sturdy. Yeah,
0: but but before... I just want just do just want to jump in and say yeah, sure. that, yeah I I I have the 5 I have I'm holding my 5 and I'm holding the 4S and the 4S feels so much better I mean yeah it's just it's not even comparable and yeah I mean the 5's the lighter and that's nice and and it and it has its it's uh it's visual aesthetics at least from the right angle yep. but um yeah the, I mean I just the the four four S just feels like a skyscraper to me, and you, you, I, it's glass and steel, and that's it. Yes. And uh, anyways, yeah. Okay, so to
1: to the antennas, I'm just
0: yeah, that's I'm fine. Done, done mar- marveling with the aesthetics there.
1: Yeah, it's 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 a fascinating design choice what they did. The thing that that I found fascinating as well was when they put the antennas around the outside. The first thing I thought is, okay, they're going to have a layer of a, of a lacquer or an insulator of some kind. But they didn't. It was exposed for the hand to directly touch. And one of the things that you learn very early on is you don't touch antennas. Yeah, why aren't we getting electrocuted? Well, okay. Well, it's not... Okay, so there's ra- there's RF radiation in terms of... Okay, there's two pieces to this. There's the transmit and there's the receive. So, from a receive point of view, assuming you're not transmitting anything, just purely from a reception point of view, if you touch it, in theory, it should become a slightly better receiver. In the same way, if you remember the rabbit ears on television sets where right. you were trying to tweak the antennas, and if you touch the antenna, it affected the reception. And what would be maddening is you would you would touch it and you would move it around a little bit and it would look good and then you'd let go of it. And as soon as you did right. that... So my dad would always have me stand next to the TV. So yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, Good antenna. That kind of thing. So, it's, it changes the properties of the antenna. Unfortunately, on the transmitting side, it's more of an issue because what happens is your body becomes uh, a sink for the RF energy. So, the energy actually starts to pour into your body. Now, the reality is that there's two kinds of coupling. There's direct coupling and there's essentially capacitive <laughs> inductive coupling. So, with capacitance and inductance, you don't need to be physically connected in order for that to energy to be transferred. So if you put your hand near an antenna you'll still get coupling from the capacitive and inductive effect of your hand being present being a conductive device in the presence of another conductive device with a current flowing through it. But a direct connection, a direct coupling where you're physically connected and all that's and, and there's no well there is still capacitive inductive but it's essentially a very low resistance connection. At that point in time it has a more profound effect. So what they were doing was though they were taking a situation whereby you accepted when you dealt with mobile phone design that there were going to be some there was going to be somebody's hand near your antenna. And if your hand completely covered the antenna because your hand is essentially a conductor because our bodies are essentially salt water in a bag and salt water is a good conductor. Then well yeah, it is, I guess. Um essentially, you're killing a lot of the RF because your hand is absorbing it. It's coupling into your hand. Your hand's sinking a lot of that RF. It's not getting out. So, but if you actually gave them direct connection, it would make that worse. But the interesting thing is that they'd gone from very small antennas in the back of the phone that were heavily loaded to much, much bigger antennas that presented a much, much bigger amount of uh, metal essentially for the transmission right. and reception i mean there's a got to be a couple square inches right oh it's yeah it's it's comparatively massive so the antennas right. themselves physically grew in size by i'm not sure what the factor would be but i'd say maybe five to six times in size so you factor that in and that has some counteracting benefit so you take a few steps forward a few steps back of course the process of doing this meant that they could flatten the phone a little bit because you were getting some of that out of the phone you could simplify some of the shielding in the phone and make the phone lighter. There are all sorts of other advantages to doing this. Unfortunately, however, that leads us to gate. Right. So, in the original design of the GSM iPhone, there were two pieces. There was a piece that essentially ran from around about the sleep-wake button all the way across the top down the down the right-hand side, across the bottom, and a little ways up the left-hand side. So, like a backwards letter C. It's a bit lopsided. Anyway, and that was the cellular antenna, single cellular antenna. And then the other connecting piece that was more of an inverted L, that was the Wi-Fi, GPS, and Bluetooth antenna. Of course, the problem was that if you bridge the two together, and in so doing, of course, you're also creating a you know, direct coupling path for all your RF, what's going to happen is you're going to get one wiping out the other and being sunk by your body, and you are going to lose a lot of signal. And that's exactly what happened. Obviously, if you put a bumper case on it or any kind of case on it, then you can't do that. And hence, you don't see that effect as an energy Yeah, You
0: can't, you can no longer hold it wrong.
1: Exactly. And I, I was laughing, well, not laughing, but I've chuckled perhaps when I was watching uh, the press event that they held after that, which I, I still think is, a, is an amazing thing that they that they even did it. But it was, I think, the 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 most perfect, you know, put up or shut up piece that I've ever seen any company do. It was like, you know, what we hear what you're saying, and <laughs> yeah, here's all of our analysis. Suck on this. Oh, and you want a free case? You yeah, have a you yeah, have a case. No problem. It was just beautifully executed and it just shut down so many people. It was very well yeah. done. We'll
0: have to we'll, we'll make sure to link to that because that's
1: if it's still up. You know, it's,
0: it's, oh yeah, it's still there. I I watched it just a few months ago. So three okay. of them sitting on stage, they they they're on in little in kind of stools and just chatting and
1: yeah. Yeah. It was it was damage control, but it was the best I've seen at a corporate level. So, anyway, When the CDMA phone came out, the CDMA iPhone, because if you recall, the Verizon iPhone 4 came out after the GSM by... Oh, I'm trying to remember how many months it was. I should have uh, researched that. But in any case, there was a time delay. When they released the CDMA phone, they introduced the idea of essentially what they call a diversity antenna. So, instead of having one antenna, you've got two. And this has all sorts of advantages for multipath and fading and so on. And in CDMA, it's a lot easier for you to compensate for it than with GSM, although more modern GSM networks got better at that. In any case, not wanting to delve too much into, um, you know, Walsh codes and direct sequence spread spectrum and all that sort of other stuff. Uh, suffice it to say, a diversity antenna from a simplistic point of view gives you an alternative path for you to receive and transmit from, such that if one's compromised, you have a backup. And it's think of it that way, it's simple enough. So there was no position you could hold it in where you could feasibly get a death grip like you could on the GSM version of the iPhone 4 at least without doing some insane contortion of both of your hands perhaps or putting it inside a you know a, a lead box which would you know kill any phone and that design was what persisted on the 4S so they changed the the design of the GSM phone to match that and they essentially gave it to antennas as well, and that solved that problem. The preference is still given to the antenna on the bottom. So, if you look at the CDMA iPhone 4 or a 4S, the the antenna on the bottom is the primary antenna, and the antenna on the top section, or in the case of the the, uh, CDMA phone, it was, I believe, up part of the right-hand side in the top was the alternative, was the backup. And again, that's exactly for the same reason. Keep the antenna at the bottom uh, and that keeps down your RF absorption. Um, what's the, maybe I'm getting ahead of you here, but what's, so I'm looking at the 4S and I, I,
0: along the antennas, along the, the outer bezel, um, it's split into three parts, right? You have these little black lines that are running across at the, right before the corners. Yes. Um, is that is that related to that? Because
1: I, I remember, yes, I don't think it was the line, same yes. way on the 4, was it? Okay, so on the 4, GSM model, the 4, it had the lines, but one of the lines was cosmetic because okay. they wanted it to be symmetrical. And, and, you know, it's like Steve Jobs said, you know, what did we do? We drew a line on it, you know? <laughs> it's like, push here. Push here. A disaster but these, strikes. Like, I mean, I can, I
0: can feel the... There's
1: a good ridge there. Like, and maybe it... Yeah, if you pull the phone apart, you can clearly see the ones that are there for a purpose and the ones that aren't on the 4. But if you look at the photos from my fix it, you'll see how the actual chassis itself is physically broken mm-hmm. in those places. I mean, I mean, broken, broken. I mean, as it doesn't make... A, there's no conductive path. So, the so the black okay. is essentially an insulator between the antennas. It's more pronounced, of course, when we move on to the 5 and the 5S, and we'll get to that. So, that design getting back to the more mundane things, uh, used a more recent Broadcom chip on the 4, which then supported N, but N was only supported on 2.4 gigahertz. I believe it did support dual band, but not N. Another interesting point about those Broadcom chips as I was researching this, because I had wondered about this, is that Broadcom chips also include an FM radio decoder.
0: Yeah, I know. (laughs) It's not used. Right, I know. Uh, Why not? It's right in there.
1: <laughs> I don't know Apple. Anyhow, never mind. It's like I guess. Uh, any, yeah, that's that's I, another one. I,
0: I, I, every time, I mean, I love uh, reading about what Broadcom's doing because it's you're always you're getting a glimpse into the future, and and they're they're really just consolidating and, and getting. Well, I'm sure we'll get to it, but they're they're putting out some incredible stuff now.
1: I think that's a definitely a good one, just to hold that thought, and we'll and we'll we'll circle back to that at the end. I think, and it's not okay. just not just Broadcom, but yeah. So all right, moving on to the 4s then. So hang on, no, I haven't talked enough about the hardware design of the 4. So you had a glass front, glass back, the bands around the outside, stainless steel, so very very strong, doesn't corrode. Well, it does corrode, but it doesn't corrode mm. anywhere near as quickly. Uh, very scratch and impact resistant, well, relatively speaking. And it looks really good. Two years, three years, four years after you bought it, it doesn't scratch easily. It doesn't. It doesn't fade. It doesn't change anything. It's just. It's right. It, it looks great. Kind of like even
0: even as as long as you don't totally shatter the screen, the chips even they got a little character.
1: Yeah. Well, the the funny thing is that it. Uh, I'm I'm sure you've uh, seen or seen photos of the of a Delorean DMC twelve. Right. Uh and I say a DeLorean DMC12 because there's only one model of DeLorean. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. But the DeLorean of course had a stainless steel uh skin on it, brushed uh, stainless steel, and it it still looks spectacular today. As- there's a guy. Mm. Oh, sorry. They, I just it's off
0: topic, but there's a guy that uh drives around town here and and his his license plate is McFly. And he's got <laughs> one of those and it's fantastic. It's just the coolest car, right? I mean, how yeah. how
1: can it it's the best. All right. <laughs> I know. I, I am a little bit jealous, but then I read about all the problems that they had with that model. And all. Oh, terrible and car. Like, oh, my God. But still incredibly cool. It is. I mean... Yeah. It's one of those... Uh, yeah. Anyway. Okay. So, so that's the four. And the thing about the four, what they did with the, the design around the edges is very interesting because what they did is the band itself didn't cover the full depth of the phone. So, the glass protruded beyond the extremities of the band right and like a good 20 25% looks like it, was, it comes out a good bit it was significant and yeah. in order to improve the effect of how it felt in your hand cause you had to have some kind of a transition and clearly they were still well i'm I'm thinking about the design trade-offs that they must have made and obviously there was a decision made at some point whereby the stainless steel was going to be Uh, ...slightly larger than the actual glass piece. And in any case, that was the the choice, the design choice that they made. And, I mean, it worked out okay. But the point is that the glass around the outside has a very fine... It's not a chamfer, exactly. It's more of a ridge that's cut into it slightly. And that smooths and rounds off the edges of that glass. And when it sits in your hand, although you can feel the transition between the metal to the glass, it's actually not that uncomfortable. It was the first thing that I noticed when I picked one up in the store for the first time is that transition. Yeah.
0: It, it almost looks like it's inset, just, I mean, by a, a micron or two, just very, yeah, very small It's a amount, very, right? very
1: subtle ridge that's yeah, been cut the glass. But you, you, but you can glass. feel it. You
0: could, you could hit it with your your finger, your yes. fingernail, right? You could feel it, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. We get grime in it too. <laughs> yeah, it's just... Uh, yeah, you do. Yeah, I remember cleaning that. So anyhow, it, it's... Coming from a 3GS, going to a 4S, which is the transition I made, uh, my wife had, having a 4, I didn't get to hold it that much. So The point is that uh, that transition, it was very very striking at the time, but I was amazed how quickly I just tuned it out. And it felt natural enough, and it felt... Because right. I loved how solid it felt. And that glass finish was just so nice and just felt so expensive and just so precise. It was just lovely. And I didn't mind it quite so much. That said, if there was a way they could do it more like the original iPhone, um, because that way you've got a beautiful steel... Sorry, I keep saying steel. It's aluminium. An aluminium back. But at the same time, you've got... It's a flat back like the iPhone 4 was, so it wasn't curved like a 3G or 3GS. It was made out of an... Because I think the aluminium finish is just as nice as the glass... But they chose to go glass, and 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 that's fine. That was the design decision. It improved the symmetry of the product. So you had glass front, glass back. You know, it, it improved symmetry in that dimension. But the and bottom, it was and it was daring too. It was very yeah, absolutely. It was a I mean, big departure.
0: And 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 you know, probably the last smartphone or last phone we'll ever really see that was that striking. You know, that stood out that much for for its time. That you yeah,
1: know, it's just.
0: You can only do that once, and,
1: and they did it well. I yeah, never say never, but I'm I will say that it was... <laughs> right yeah. I guess we'll see, right? We'll see what they do with the six. <laughs> There's all sorts of other materials out there they could make it out. Yeah. Of, although, admittedly, I don't expect to see a concrete backed phone anytime soon. But you know, well, I, I
0: love I love trolling through Apple patents, and they have those uh, they have some patents on meteorite. So
1: <laughs> <laughs> really, yeah, oh, for dear. keyboards actually, but who knows? Okay, fair enough. Okay, so they learned a lot with the 4. There was a massive change of massive risk and for the most part, it paid off. And once Antennagate was dealt with and the design improvements on the CDMA, iPhone and eventually the 4S, you know, they, Apple were on top of the world. But of course, Apple being Apple, they wanted to keep pushing it forward. So I've got a sneaking suspicion that the people at Apple also love the metal back. So, when they went to the five, it was time for them to decide, okay, what's it going to be? Are we going to persist with glass or are we going to go to a steel back or are we going to do plastic? And they said, no plastic, we're going to do a bit of both. So, they did a predominantly aluminium back with two glass insets, one at the top, one at the bottom. So, that sort of was an interesting combination it solved the problem of the back glass being prone to shattering, although it had never happened to me or my wife. I, I know plenty of other people that it did happen to. So when they inset the glass on the back of the 5, making it flush, they essentially solved the cracking problem of the back. And I think a lot of people were putting cases on their phone and bumpers on the phone, not just for the antenna issue, but on the original 4 GSM version. But also because of the back Tending to having a tendency to smash so they sort of killed you know, well, they'd already killed the two birds with one stone, I guess, I suppose you could argue with the design of the 4S and the CDMA iPhone, but in any case it's much easier now and safer to have a phone without a case these days but with the iPhone 5 design it was anyway but they did something interesting with the design of the aluminium, but that they hadn't done before, which was they put a diamond cut, and I know they say diamond cut like that's some kind of big deal, but, you know... Right. To... I've got half a dozen diamond cut... Yeah. Or d- diamond edge saws in the basement. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exact. Same thing, right? So, it's like, yeah, okay. But anyway, yeah, it's a bit precision cut, whatever. It's a beautiful chamfer around the edge of it, and it looks so striking against the the rest of the finish. And that's all well and good. But unfortunately, and... Uh, I feel a bit weird sort of saying this and I think I have said it before previously but I'll say it again is that I have soft hands I work on a computer all day I don't swing a pickaxe or a shovel and you know my hands are quite soft they're not I don't you know, it's not like I moisturize them or anything but you know they're just not they're soft and I can feel when I hold it in my hand I can feel that sharper edge on the edge of that phone it's sharper than the glass by a noticeable amount and it's not curved at all like the original like the original iPhone was because it had the aluminium was curved on the sides and it's, of course nothing at all like the 3G or the 3GS and I find that very disconcerting when I, when I'm, when I was using because the iPhone 5S design 5 out 5 design is essentially the same so when I've been using and I find myself moving the phone around in my hand unconsciously because it's just dis- disconcerting holding it in my hand in one position for any long period of time as complaints go it's mild sure but in any case it's it would have been nicer if it was rounded and not chamfered in my opinion but obviously they Well
0: don't. yeah I'm looking at I'm looking again I have the both I have the 5 and the the 4s in front I mean I'm looking you know very closely at the at the uh, the band on the forest, there is a chamfer there too, um, but it's significantly smaller. I mean, it's it's not as deep as all. I mean, it's about it's less than half, right? Yeah. And and it doesn't have. Maybe they used some softer diamonds. Maybe they just used like rubies. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> or they just sanded it down with some 200 grit. But it's. And probably because you know the the way the the four and the four are sandwiched it, you don't get that as much. You're not going to get that feel. But yeah, I know I can I can feel exactly what you're you're talking about. And I've not, I, I don't think I've ever really it never bothered me as much until I started putting a case on this. I got I, my uh, my first five just kind of died on me. The screen screen went dead, and they just gave me a new one, which was a really nice of them because I was didn't have Apple Care. <laughs> but uh, I put I got one of the uh, the 5S cases. I want one of these product red ones, and I, you know, I've, I've always been morally opposed to uh, to putting cases on phones, but <laughs> I got to say, it feels a lot better.
1: Okay.
0: And I wonder if that's part, you know, and it's just it's a, or it's it's much. It, it really makes clear how the five. Is 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 less humanely designed, right? And,
1: yeah, and and I, guess... and I, th- I mean
0: that, and that's what you're talking. About. You know, it's also you know the the thinness also is. Uh, uh, maybe it's a, you know maybe it's being overly critical of it, but it's as soon as as soon as I got it, I felt like wow this thing is gonna fly out of my hands, and well, yes. it doesn't it doesn't inspire confidence the way that the four did, and it's I think. The combination of the lightness, the thinness, its aspect ratio, and 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 that those edges and the the materials that they chose, it, to me that to me it adds up to an to an experience that is worse and not to look at but to hold, right?
1: Yeah, and exactly right, and I I agree with most of what you said there. I think that the fundamental issue for me is that it doesn't feel as comfortable in my hand. And it is. I didn't mention the weight, and that's something that I haven't really talked about through through this this uh, walk down memory lane. But what it... To me, you need to have a certain amount of weight in a phone. And I do think that once you get used to a heavier phone like a 4 or a 4S, when you move to the iPhone 5, it really does feel significant... Well, it is significantly lighter, and it feels hollow right. it almost feels I mean it yeah. feel, everyone said it at the it felt. It almost feels fake it does and, and it feels and, like it's gonna it feels like you have to hold it tighter right because it you doesn't do that clu- there's yeah. a clutch right yes. uh,
0: and Gruber even mentioned it is that you you know the, the height of the phone and the thinness and the weight prompts this kind of strange unnatural way of holding it yeah. and I've got really big hands so it's not that it's you know I, I guess I get to win there where it doesn't bother me too much but you know my wife doesn't and I see how she holds it and it's clearly not that comfortable no. and and we've I mean, we've talked about it that there's just uh you know and she ended up uh, we got her a uh a 5c case which will fit a a, a 5 a 5 or 5s it's just you know but the 5c is 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 bigger slightly and has some more depth and she really likes it because it actually adds a little bit more whoop almost lost the phone there uh adds some some more texture and uh i mean those 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 cases are kind of this rubberized material right so it's a a lot more texture
1: yeah i yeah i think fundamentally you have to when, when i when i think about this i think about looking at looking at the real world and how we deal with things and what we prefer to do and prefer to carry and no one built a carry bag with sharp edges no one built you know a door handle with sharp edges you you just you just don't because the human hand does not have it's got a lot of nerve endings a lot of pressure temperature sensitivity and you want it to be a nice smooth comfortable thing to hold
0: round racks right i mean it's it, they're all about those those rounded corners but you know I, i'm looking at my macbook in front of me and along along the edges yes it's it's it is rounded and smooth and nice but that insanely sharp edge on the on the front lip uh, is, it's just an odd overstate. And, it, and it, it's strange yeah. because, I mean, nature hates straight lines. And and you're, you're fighting against something exactly. that, I mean, entropy is going to turn all of those straight lines into jagged or rounded ones sooner or later. So why fight it?
1: Well, that's right. So I guess one of the things that I'll, I'll, I'll circle back to after I've had this discussion is to talk about which one I think is the best and why. But let's, uh, let's keep moving. So the iPhone 5 went to the aluminium, was now not just the back plate as for the original iPhone 2G but also the antennas now so the, the top and the bottom arcs of the, of the phone those metal sections, there's the metal band those are aluminium and those are now the uh, main and the diversity antennas for cellular and inside the phone they've moved the Wi-Fi, GPS, Bluetooth antenna assembly inside the phone and it's actually just below the top so the The Wi-Fi and the GPS and Bluetooth is actually at the top of the phone, not the bottom. And... Okay, so in terms of the chips driving them, of course, they've then moved up... uh, In the 5, they now have ABGN and it's dual-band and it's Bluetooth 4. So, and I should have added on the 4S, they added Bluetooth 4 as well. However, now the 5, the 5S, the 5C all have that and that hasn't changed now. So, they are now all ABGN... And Bluetooth 4. Still no sign of, of AC on the Wi-Fi, but that's, I'm sure, coming at some point, which is another thing to do.
0: Let's make... When we wrap up at the end, let's make sure we we do a little sure. rundown of Bluetooth. Okay, just for my own edification because okay. I get confused.
1: All right, so All right. the 5S... So I'm not sure what else there is to really say about the 5. Um, and in fact, honestly, even the 5S because the 5S is essentially exactly the same design. There were ever so minor tweaks, I. But honestly, it was essentially the same thing as the five. However, the five C is where things go off the rails. And when I say off the rails, I mean they don't follow the standards and conventions that Apple had previously. So, if we think back to the previous plastic back phones, the plastic back phone that was last produced of the three GS, unlike the three GS this plastic back phone the 5c has a flat back but it also has the curved sides that you would that were more i think analogous to the original iphone the iphone 2g not quite as rounded mind you but still i have to admit having held having held one for a while the 5c actually feels very comfortable in your hand it's also a little bit heavier than the 5s the downside is it's plastic the antennas inside them just because of now they're all plastic you can hide them inside and you'd think oh they may put them in some different location but the truth is they haven't all they've done is they've taken what is essentially the 5 and the 5S design instead of using aluminium they've used mild steel which is fine because i mean it's doesn't need to it's protected now by the by the plastic case, essentially from you know significant corrosion, and uh, it's you know cheaper and in some respects stronger anyway. So that's 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 bespoke
0: mild steel and uh, polycarbonate. Well, yeah, I'm so sorry. It's polycarbonate, <laughs> not plastic. Yeah,
1: no kidding, huh?
0: Can, can we put that to? Can we just put a bulletin in that and uh, let everyone know that polycarbonate is just plastic? Yeah,
1: yeah we can. I mean. Polycarbonate is a is a plastic. There is a hell of a lot of things that are plastics, um, but yeah, I just uh, it seemed to me quite. And the iPhone five and five is made out of Reynolds Wrap, <laughs> so that's mean. Uh, maybe yeah. anyway, but um, it, it it felt when when they do the video on that and they said, oh, it's made of it's unashamedly plastic, and you know it's polycarbonate. It's just the most beautiful polycarbonate we've ever done. It's like it's kind of like when Steve jobs up on stage talking about how it was the size of the aperture on, it, it collected more photons and it's like, are we back in high school guys? I mean, what are we, what are we talking about? It's like, call it what it is. Relax. It's okay. You don't have to play it up. It's got a plastic back. Okay. It's fine. But, but polycarbonate sounds Uh nicer. That's what, that's it. I mean, it's, it's it,
0: fingernails <laughs> down
1: the chalkboard to me mate that's that's the problem as i listen and i'm like oh <laughs> you didn't have to say that but all right that's marketing spin for you but in any case right in any case it feels great i i would say that the 5c feels better in my hand than a 5s does in fact i'd say it feels better in my hand than a 4 or a 4s does and the only thing that its score in my opinion drops is because it still is just plastic and and plastic will always have a feeling to it of of cheapness now whether that's deserved or not i thought about this a lot why is it we associate plastic with cheap and all you got to do is look around at a let's see i'm trying to think of the equivalent dollar plus store loony plus stores or you know What's uh, what's an equivalent in North America? Uh, you know, this you go yeah. into a bargain store and they've got a plastic container there for two bucks, and it's you know however many uh, gallons. I assume it's gallons. You know, like twenty liter container, whatever that is, um, whatever metric, whatever imperial measurement that is. But the point is, it's it's here's a, here's a plastic box. It's two bucks. Throw your stuff in it, and you know, slide it under the bed, and it's out of you know.
0: Right. Well, yeah, exactly. And plastic plastic has the the connotation of cheap I think one you know one because we have all these products that have that are cheap you know then a lot of crappy products that are made out of plastic because it's it's just the right material to choose for that because it can be produced cheaply and and the manufacturing costs can be a lot you know in, in terms of machining and 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 uh, and you know building the factories to build these things that yeah it's a lot easier to work with but it's all I think also it you know if you go back 40 50 years you think you know think about the graduate right the, you know plastic went from being this wonder material which it is to uh, something that's that's ubiquitous and thus not valued yep. right that's you, you know what why you know how much you know not i can admit that i'm sure a a, a large Part of the reason why why the 4 4s feels better to me is that my brain knows that it's made out of of glass and steel and and to my brain, you know whether it's true or not, glass and steel is harder to make and harder to work with and more expensive and you know and better than plastic even if plastic outperforms it in every other way, uh, and even if it's not true, <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's because it's there. That's just it's hard it's it's wired into us at some at some level culturally and that's it you I know do. is it a is it a rec- is it a recycled you know uh coke bottle or well or is it a recycled
1: glass coke bottle well, I, I do i do wonder with plastic whether or not it's been too much of a good thing because plastic has not has really only been around for sixty years something like that as a mass produced item and I don't know maybe people have just gone nuts on it because now we know how to use it we know how to make it we can make it into anything or not anything but we can make it into a- lots of different things it's become so ubiquitous we see it everywhere that we get we kind of get a bit sick of it and the funny thing is you think about glass and something you said about working with glass people have been working with glass for a heck of a lot longer than they've been working with plastic right, right so it's interesting that the that the metal back or the glass back phone or the the metal ridge on the phone uh feels more modern when technically the materials in use are in fact much much older. Oh, ancient. Yeah, right, right. Well, and you think about uh you know, uh
0: high-performance ceramics and you know, jumping to to you know, the automotive industry that you know, uh, the cylinder linings in Porsches are 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 clay. Yeah. <laughs> right that's what they are
1: it's the right material Um, so on the subject of materials and I guess this is where I want to sort of just quickly talk about which I think I've I've almost reached that conclusion about which phone I think is actually the best to hold in your hand and why is honestly in my opinion is the original iPhone because it has the metal back it's flat it feels really comfortable in your hand because the the edges the, the sides are rounded it has a good weight to it. It does not feel cheap. It feels quite expensive. And it is a beautifully designed phone. But the funny thing is, I, I used to think the 4S or the 4 were, would be the next design after that in terms of, in my opinion, for comfort. But no, I actually am going to side with the 5C. And I say this because I think that the 5C is extremely comfortable. But because of my association with Plastic meaning lesser quality. I have a hard time, I suppose, what's the word? Swallowing it? No. Appreciating it, I think. Perhaps that's the problem. In any case, I have a 5S, and I still love my 5S. Don't get me wrong. But I just look at the design trade-offs, and I think to myself, why did they create the 5C? And obviously, they were going to have a spin on... they They wanted to do an evolution of the iPhone 5 down a cheaper route than the the top-of-the-line model of the 5S. And so, they went back to a plastic back, which gave them flexibility to use cheaper materials like mild steel and plastic, and that reduced the cost of the phone. And that's fine. It wasn't a massive saving, but it was a saving. And I totally understand why they would want to do that. And it's just interesting because I'm going to be... Well, we've done plastic. We've done aluminium and, you know, we've done stainless steel and glass. Next question is, well, what else is there? No one ever thought, oh, we'll, we'll make phones out of glass. You know, that's just crazy talk. We glass in the front, sure, but glass in the back. So, Apple did that. One of the things that came to mind as to what else they haven't tried that could be worth trying is carbon fiber, Mm-hmm. There have been people talking about carbon fiber for quite some time, ever since it was popularized by Formula One and hence now it's it's become very common in, in becoming more and more common. Right. Even in planes. We're getting to the point where Yeah, it and it might it might start to be feasible here. So. Yeah. But the problem with carbon fiber is there is there, it's a rigidity problem. And right. and I keep coming back to well, if you're going to use carbon fiber, you're stuck with a design like the five C, which is you have a steel subframe within it giving it additional additional torsional stability whereas if you go to yeah you know, if you stick with your metal there's no need for that because your outside case adds that structural rigidity to the phone so it's a, it if they go to carbon fiber I've got to think to myself because that'll be an additional cost carbon fiber is a bit of a pain to to work with because you've got to cook it and layer it and it's all you know it's not like injection molding like with plastic it's not like a milling machine. It's a very yeah, different. your your
0: yields are not going to be as as reliable. Exactly. There's, there's all, I think gonna have, they're going to have a
1: lot of yeah. There's a lot of precision yeah. issues as well. I think. So there there tends to be a bit of. Yeah, I think it tends to be. How should I say? I, maybe it just comes back to the, the, how long the technology's existed. So carbon fiber composites are yeah you know, far more recent developments, whereas people have been milling aluminium and mm-hmm. steel and. Making glass and so on for a long time, and and injection molding plastic for longer, much longer than for carbon fiber. So maybe it's just a matter of the maturity of, of of making carbon fiber. But that's the first one that comes to mind. In fact, I'll be honest; that's that's probably the only one that really comes to mind. Um, well,
0: uh, what about well, the two that I'm thinking of? Are well, the, there's the rumor of the the sapphire, you know, int- sapphire glass, the whole thing, and I don't really know much about that well, other than. They, they bought that company right and um and also liquid metal which also is shrouded in marketing speak so i'm not yeah, sure
1: li- liquid metal's just a fancy name for the different compass um sorry uh, alloys that they're that they're experimenting with it still comes back to fundamentally uh, a metal versus a plastic versus you know glass which is a, sil- a silicon but it's just um whereas carbon fiber is something different whereas you know right. sapphire is different again but i guess it's a it's a matter of it's, But how do you control the it's cost it's just stronger glass yeah I right mean, sapphire is
0: well maybe they figured it out maybe they got it hmm, i mean i don't know maybe what about he okay so here's here's a crazy idea i've thought about this uh you know you've you've, ta- you've bought a lot of apple gear sure. right um I don't know if you've ever taken apart one of their boxes and realized just how incredibly well put together these things are and
1: yeah shipping uh, you mean the shipping boxes yeah
0: Yeah the well the the yeah the you know you you get your iPhone and you open up the box and and just you know it it's it's just incredibly sturdy uh amazing use of cardboard so so what about what about that what about a bamboo phone. What about. <laughs> right. I mean, th- there, there are because these things are, are approaching this this point of being disposable. And mm. how long do they really need to last for? Um, I don't know. I, I, I've thought about that, that, you know, this the the box that your iPhone comes in with with a little bit of, a, of a, added protection, you know, some, some more some more work. I mean, it's, you know, it's not enough as it is, but. Could you could you make a iPhone out of cardboard? Uh,
1: anything is possible. Uh, I guess my <laughs> my biggest okay. Uh, there's. <laughs> I mean,
0: whether you should or not isn't the okay. question. I'm, I'm I'm saying you know think about the performance characteristics, well, right? If, you, if, if such a thing existed, what would it how what would it be yeah. like?
1: I mean, that, that I guess the examples you're giving there, so wooden or, well, essentially paper is a wood. It's a wooden wood-based product. It's pulped uh, wood fiber. But the the interesting thing is that they are all RF transparent, so you'd have no reception issues in that respect. But uh, rigidity, I guess you make it thick and strong enough, weave it together the right way maybe, and, well, I guess it could have similar strength. I guess uh, the issue then is uh, now I have to coat it to make it water-resistant otherwise if it's you know if it's a carbon sorry not carbon if it's uh, paper or cardboard if that gets wet that's going to swell and buckle and fall apart and if it's bamboo I guess it's more resistant to that or wooden be more resistant to that but it's you know yeah it's going to pick up potentially you know moisture and dirt and that'll change the coloration of it so you'd have to you have to stain it first and seal it and mind you a wooden-backed iPhone could be kind of cool. <laughs> I don't know how big a market is for right. it, but yeah. But it's interesting ideas. Yeah, this, I, it's a, a, a... this is a thought experiment. It's an interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought of those.
0: Seems like we're probably stuck with aluminum and plastic for for the foreseeable
1: future. I think so, and and that's fine.
0: Well, with... and aluminum is is a wonder metal.
1: Oh sure. Oh yeah. No, aluminium is is incredibly versatile, and uh, it really didn't take off so much until recently. But in the last maybe ten years, I think, and it's just it is really amazing because it's so highly recyclable. Once you once you've taken the bauxite and you've got the alumina out of it, and you smelt it into aluminium, at that point all of that energy put in to convert it into converting to aluminium, you're at a point where it now becomes much easier to recycle. You just, you just can melt melt it down and and reforge it essentially,
0: right? And that that that's to me that's the biggest argument against what I just suggested is is that you know a- Apple's you know famously cornered the market on aluminum and uh, why mess with a good thing?
1: I think yeah we're stuck with aluminum for quite a while but and and obviously it's it's also a lot cheaper than something else fancy like you know the surfaces the Microsoft Surface is made out of uh, magnesium uh, alloy right. and it's it's more expensive just right
0: yeah it's it, echoes of the next cube right
1: yeah a little bit it's it, it seems unnecessary
0: i wonder i wonder if you can light surfaces on fire this
1: <laughs> you know what it looks like when it burns right so uh-huh. it's pretty intense yeah. but um in any case so that i guess that's a little bit about looking at the, at the future of where some of this stuff is going but um yeah so i wanted to circle back to and this is the part where i we need to pause and you need to refresh my memory. What we're going to circle back to again.
0: Um, we wanted to talk about, well, we just did, we talked about, you think the, let me see, you ranked the order of which ones you like for feel. We want, I wanted to talk about antennas a little more just in general, uh, particularly Bluetooth. Do we want to make any discussion of the actual, um, Chips, the 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 processors themselves. Oh, that was the other thing. Or is yeah. that is that getting too close? Yeah, that's okay.
1: Okay. Um. So we'll start with that. Okay. So earlier we said we wanted to circle back to talk about uh, the Broadcom chips and the way that chips are going and and the future of of electronics and how it's going. One of the things when I was working at Nortel was we had circuit boards in the RF module that had twelve thousand components on them, and they were everything from very small chip capacitors and chip resistors and ductors and so on that to large ball grid arrays, you know, up to four, 500-pin ball grid arrays, you know, 128-pin quad flat packs and, and so on and so forth. These were 10 layered circuit boards with pot parts populated on both sides. They were insane. One of the things that I learned when I was over there, when I was doing some of the design over there was that The way everything was going was towards application-specific integrated circuits, or ASICs, whereby you take all the functionality, all the pieces of all the different components and support components surrounding a chip, and the next generation of chip you release, you bring all of that into the chip. So you essentially make it easier. It's more focused and more specific, but you can enable and disable certain functionality if you do or you don't want it. You know, kind of like the FM radio that's been stuck in the iPhone for a few years now that but never gets used. Well, you just have a generic chip. You don't need the FM radio? Fine. Just don't wire it up. And that's that's where it's going. Is Here's a compact, high-density, all-in-one solution. You plonk it down on your circuit board, configure it how you like, and away you go. We've done all the hard work for you. We were having all sorts of... Design issues regarding uh, with mixed mode cards, so where you have RF and you have digital on the same card, it's always a problem when you are doing that. In so in the design process that they're going down these days, they're actually separating the RF and the digital in some cases within the same die package, the same uh, ASIC die, and that means that the chip designers and the fabricators have already figured all this out for you. So all you have to do is put it down on a board, give it some controlled impedance tracks and take it out to the antenna and let it do the rest. So it's it the way it's going is companies uh like Broadcom are, are moving down that road and you know frankly so is Intel with systems on a chip and so on for their CPUs and their GPUs and and shared memory and everything on the same die it's all going to shrinking down to a handful of chips i mean we'll never reach a point where it's one chip does everything that's ridiculous but we will get to all of these fields of expertise that previously where i was involved in this where you would do a lot of rf design a lot of that has now been essentially killed because what people are doing is they are consolidating the design and they're pulling it into ASICs and you no longer need to worry so much about it. I mean from a fundamentals point of view, it helps to have a grasp on it. But there's a hell of a lot, you know, S a hell of a lot S matching, a hell of a lot less S matching going on right now when you're trying to do RF design than there used to be ten years ago. So
0: S matching. S matching
1: uh it's yeah, yeah s11 s21 it's uh, forward reverse uh power when you're dealing with rf so it's uh i should probably give you a link for that it's uh will just make a note but yeah it's uh sort of hard to explain you need a net use network analyzer and you look at your the amount of energy that's being transferred so it's about matching the impedances correctly using a, a an inductor match or a capacitive inductor or a capacitive match and I did some of that on the uh, one of the projects at Nortel that unfortunately was canned. So, never saw the light of day, but alas, it happens in R&D. So, um, which always sucks, but that's life. Anyway, yes. so broad- the Broadcom chips are a perfect example of where this industry is going. And if you look at the each of the circuit boards that they extracted from the original iPhone 2G up to the 5S then you can see it. There's less chips. The boards are becoming smaller. There's less layers in the stack. They are essentially becoming lower... And as a result, becoming lower power. All of this stuff also reduces the amount of design time that you need to have for the hardware side, which is, of course, a a massive time saver. So you've got less interactions to figure out between the different ICs. If you have a look at some of the earlier designs, I think of the 3G and the 3GS, they had this... A series of RF gaskets, and you'll see that on the iFixit teardown, they separate all the chips into separate sections to separate the RF and the digital components of this of the circuit. Sort of thing that we were doing uh, ten years ago on the RF modules, and the more recent models barely have that at all, because a lot of it's now been contained within individual chips. So, and this is sort of one of the epiphanies that I had. Was the area of design I wanted to get involved with, RF design? I decided uh, when I left Nortel not to continue pursuing that as a career simply because it was becoming a handful of places around the world that would now actually do that. And they were all the, the chip fabs and chip designers. The, it was no longer the Nortels of the world or the Ericssons of the world. It was now a handful of chip manufacturers. Broadcom's one example, Qualcomm's another.
0: Texas Instruments yeah. and uh...
1: TI do more fab than they do design, but they do do some design. Uh, Lucent, I think Lucent is still kicking around designs. Um, there's quite a few different brands, but seriously, it's it's a significantly smaller market than it was. So, and and I never did any ASIC layout myself, although I did I did start down that road, but I just decided that no, I didn't want to continue doing that. But anyway so yeah interesting stuff more integration as we go forward less and less chips less complex hardware design in many respects but then I suppose that the additional space of that frees up and the power that's it takes less power you know there'll be room for new features new hardware like Touch ID for example and other things
0: right yeah that's what well that's what I was going to ask is so as we're you know as these these systems get I'm mean, looking at a I'm comparing the teardown of the three gs to the 5 s and the most striking thing is is it's all battery right yeah, no kidding and um so the 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 power required to run these devices is dropping generally right
1: yeah it's the problem is that there's so many things driving that people tend to fixate on certain things. And not others, which you know is, uh, it's just it's just I guess it's a, just a depth of understanding. But everyone knows right. that the retina screens require a more intense backlight, simply because well, there's a more higher dense grid of of pixels for which the the light has to pass through. So, right. and that's that is more of a power drain. How significant that is, I haven't crunched the numbers, but it is a component. The other thing that's now is better than is an improvement though is the the dyes are, are getting you know smaller so the processes are getting smaller so they've gone from oh dear 45 nanometer i'm not sure how how far they've gone now on the a6 so i haven't it's, you know they are 20 something 20 nanometers. Right? 28 so 28 yeah, something like and that, then yeah. uh, intel are talking about fabbing at 14 i think
0: 14 that's the Sophia, yeah, right they just that's announced, right, they just that, announced it exactly yeah.
1: so i mean they're heading down towards sizes that we just thought were science fiction the lower you go the less power you need to switch the transistors which means the less power it's going to consume which is you know amazing and fantastic uh, it also means that your, your leakage between junctions unintentionally is worse much worse so it's it's not as simple as as you might think what's what's what, well, does what, that mean? what you've got inside a, an any integrated circuit is a bunch of transistors not in two dimensions but in three dimensions and each of these transistors has a, a base and emitter and a collector and what, what you're doing is you turn them on and off you turn them on and off and as you do so you are essentially allowing electrons to pass through the gate and that's how you you know you, you arrange them in different different uh flip-flops as nand gates and gates whatever and as you right. do that, that's how you control the passage of of logic through the C- the CPU or the device, whatever the hell it's doing. But the problem is that as you pack them closer and closer together, you will get le- you will get accidental leakage from one transistor oh, to its okay. partnering transistor just on the other side, right next to adjacent to it.
0: So you have one logical operation going on can cause another Correct. one to yes, screw up, exactly. basically.
1: So okay. that's sort of that sort of problem as-
0: so you need more error correction and Well, right? it's, or- the, it's
1: the, in order to get the fab right you need to look at the insulating materials that you're using and it's also about um, impurities so oh so it's something that that a, a chip itself may be
0: um, may be is everything that, is that so that you actually your yield will be more uh, inconsistent? Uh, yeah, exactly.
1: So you've got to have okay. tighter okay. control of your impurities. You've got to have extremely precise etching. You've got to have all of these things need to improve. And going down several microns is actually quite a massive step. And that's why it takes taking them so long to get down to some insane number like 14. It's just unbelievable to me. Uh, just knowing where they started it's just unbelievable it still blows my mind but in any case uh, the point is that the less power you need then that's a battery saving so you can get away with that but now you're adding more technology so uh, the other other piece that's that's driving uh, the battery size as well is the cellular usage one of the things that people really don't seem to have as much of a grip on is the fact that cellular radio usage these days is reducing as well so it comes down to the fact that if you have ba- okay rewind back to the beginning of the analog mobile phone era where you had one massive tower and that would transmit for a thirty mile radius, and you would have a handful of people calling in now, when you're so far mm-hmm. away from the antenna, then you need to have a longer antenna yourself. so you have the usually they had extendable antennas and you'd just like you pull the pull the, right. the, the extended antenna out yeah
0: plug have your have your star Trek plugged into your uh yep your bmw and, and that, that, yeah. that sort of right. thing
1: exactly <laughs> you have the antenna in the center of the roof or wherever anyway and you would be pumping out five watts maybe of those maximum power fair bit of reasonable amount of juice maybe one watt but when digital came in they started to reduce the power because analog the signal noise ratio you can get on on digital is a lot better because digital noise, digital signal, you can re- eliminate noise through uh, uh, signal regeneration and noise cancelling, and which is more difficult to do with analog. And not just that, they also were becoming more popular. So instead of having one cell cell phone right. tower covering a thirty mile radius, you could now have, say, ten in the same amount of area. At which point. You don't need anywhere near that amount of power in your phone in order to commute communicate yeah. to the nearest tower because the nearest tower is only you know three miles away now.
0: Yeah, the, it's funny the right the exit right you know getting off the highway to come come home there is just there's this huge tower, and I mean it it can't be more than half a mile from here, yeah. and I live in a in in rural Ohio. I mean it's not <laughs> it's not high density here, but obviously it's got to the point where I think. I was reading uh, a white paper by um, oh, what's the? It's one of these uh, one of the new Chinese uh, companies. Uh, I can't think of it, but 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 that the you know the the capex for one of these towers is about thirty thousand dollars, and the opex is about the same, and so you just you know just kind of do the math and figure out how many, you know how many people need to have have uh, have an account before that makes sense and it's not that many now No, it isn't and the the economies
1: of scale are really getting to a point where it's a lot better than a heck of a lot better than it was 10 years ago but in any case that's also counteracted by the um (laughs) the shortage quote-unquote shortage of rf spectrum where they're now charging more and more for it so when when sprint or verizon or at&t bid for a bit of spectrum and say you know i'm i can fit you know, six wideband CDMA channels or whatever I'm transmitting on this frequency. Um, and everyone else says, well, yeah, but we want to do the same thing. And then again, do a bidding war and they end up charging millions and millions of dollars for it. Just the rights to use that spectrum mm-hmm. for five years. Uh, yeah, the cost just went up. <laughs> so it, it used to be a lot cheaper. And now when they start doing spectrum auctioning, it's, uh, yeah, it's no longer so in that respect. But anyway, so the idea is that the more and more cell towers you have, the less power that you need. So you can get away with a smaller battery. And in the smartphones, that, that's meant that you can also get away with smaller antennas, hence why the antenna sizes were shrinking. So they, they used to have the extendable antenna and the last phone I had that had an extendable antenna was a StarTac X and that was about 12 years ago. And it was a beautiful phone. I love my phone. But in the end, Nokia had led the charge and essentially they went to these little little nub antennas that were no more than an inch long that would stick out of the top of the Nokia's like a 5110 or a 3210 so on and then within a few years they disappeared inside the phone and at that point you know plastic back so it was RF transparent no problem and uh, then people sort of thought well this is a lot better you know I don't have to worry about you know knocking the little knobby antenna off I mean replacement antennas were an item that we used to sell when I worked at uh, Dick Smith Electronics you know we used to (laughs) Oh, I've got a broken antenna here. Come on, we got one of those. Uh, not anymore. It was all hidden inside the phone. And because of the increased number and, and hence the density of coverage for your radio, you are able to get away with that. But for short periods of time, you still need to transmit those sorts of power levels. And that's one of the things you'll find if you're in a fringe level, uh, sorry, a fringe area, and you're a long way from the nearest tra- tower, you'll still be able to talk to it, but it sucks your battery dry faster than you can blink. And the phone right. runs really hot, and it's obvious that something's wrong. For example, I, I just I did a uh, a site inspection just two days ago, actually, out at uh, a city um, city township, the town called uh, Kingaroy, and uh, this place is just outside of town. I had one bar of reception. I had three G, yay, so I could still you know send and receive data, which was good because I was still trying to answer emails when I was out there. And my battery went from ninety eight percent to about fifty percent in the space of an hour and a half. And that was with very Jeez. light usage. And that's the that's the problem, because the battery is assuming that you're in a built-up area and you've got much lower power requirements in order to trend to get your signals to and from a radio tower. So the batteries are, have been shrinking. Now we've moved to smartphones and suddenly we have big screens we need to power. And it's like, oh, okay, well, I need to have a bigger battery again. And so now we've seen the reverse trend whereby batteries and phones were getting smaller and smaller, antennas are getting smaller and smaller. Now we have the reverse effect. Now we've got batteries getting bigger and bigger, and smartphone screens getting bigger and brighter. And it's uh, it's, a, it's funny to watch it working in the other direction. Yeah, it's.
0: Uh, I'm thinking about my Kia sixty thirty five, uh, probably yeah, probably two thousand three, two thousand four, something like that, and and the. I'll have to crack it open and see what it looks like on the inside because that would uh, I think would just go and go and go. And that was at the time when, you know, they're really what we're talking about where there is, there were very few towers. There was, you know, no, no high speed data to speak of at all. And, but then on the, you know, fast forward 10 years, I barely use any cell connected at all just because i'm not driving around a lot and i'm you know just don't get on the phone that much and i wonder also how does how does wi-fi play into that then because i mean isn't the uh with the 5s now with the oh what is it multi multi multipath path tcp is that what it's called yep um where it's splitting thing, you know it's splitting it's using the best available option right it, how, how does? I mean, I, I assume that Wi-Fi is generally lower
1: power. Absolutely, significantly,
0: and 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 typically going to be connected to some sort of you know high speed landline, which is just going to you know be cheaper, more you know more performant, whatever than than uh, 3G, 4G. But do you see? Is is that something you think is going to have an appreciable impact, or is it just it's too much of a uh, and I guess it just depends, right? Depends on if you're in an area that's by- bathed in Wi-Fi. Yeah,
1: well, the pro Okay, the, there's the issue with with radio power is it's a question of bandwidth versus distance, and the bandwidth that you need in order to transmit your data is based on the the rate of the of the data you're intending to send. So, if for example, it's just a voice, you're just trying to send voice data, then yeah, you know, there's eight kilobit per second or thirteen kilobit per second vocoders that. You know, turn your voice into a bit stream that's then encoded and sent over the cellular network. However, if you're sending, talking about chunks of data, and you you want to send data at just at raw data rates of like LTE speeds, you know, twenty twenty, it's like, I It still blows my mind on LTE. I, I think I've I've heard of twenty megabits per second over cellular, which is in mind blowing to me. Oh, when when I when I got the
0: five, it was you know just as Verizon was rolling out LTE in you know where I live and fifty sixty that's, um, just yeah. wow I mean high, high, higher than they claimed was possible yeah right? that's wow yeah it was nuts that is nuts and f- more more that more than the it was more than the phone could uh, could actually pass through and and deal with yep. right it, it it just couldn't handle it
1: so there's there's an there's a there's a formula they use to calculate what they refer to as power spectral density. And what you're trying to do is determine the effective amount of power that you're got. you transferring based on the bandwidth of the signal as well as the amount of data you're transferring. So, when you've got Wi-Fi, where you've got the advantage is distance. The range of Wi-Fi is such that it all falls apart beyond, you know, 100 meters or so or, you know, how many right. Yards.
0: Or a couple, a couple, a couple walls. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. Exactly. The signals are extremely low power, and they're designed to be that way because the devices that were were originally designed with Wi-Fi, they didn't want to use much power. Bluetooth used to be similar, but they've taken Bluetooth to a whole new level with you know. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Bluetooth yeah. 4. Well, it's not really too much to say, but the the point is that it's even lower power than Wi-Fi, which is what, why it's become attractive. But the difference between Bluetooth and with Wi-Fi is that the amount of bandwidth available on Bluetooth and the amount of range on Bluetooth is even less, which has allowed it to drop to this point where it's now become such a low-power connection that it's looking like it may finally replace something like an infrared controller. Which, honestly, I hate infrared because <laughs> if you're not pointing it in the right direction and in some rooms even if you're pointing it in the wrong direction sometimes it'll bounce off the walls you know and you might get lucky but you know seriously it's such a, it's a uh, it's a terrible technology infrared i i've played around with it for years and and just oh, always problems whereas something that's done over radio doesn't have those sorts of issues like for example infrared sometimes doesn't work in a bright room you open the front window sometimes infrared will get interference you know, really uh, if you have direct sunlight in certain parts of the room, it can scramble infrared signals. It's just you know, depending on the quality of the receiver and the sender and all that other stuff. It, you know,
0: I think it's funny that that yeah, I'm sitting when I'm we're watching our Apple TV. I will have that that I have a better experience and a faster experience and you know and faster interaction with it by using my phone to jump on the Wi-Fi. And you're using the the iPhone remote rather than you know, and so it's it's bouncing you know 50 feet over to the Wi-Fi and then back again, uh, rather than using the the purpose-built you know has to do one thing remote that's five feet away from the TV.
1: Yeah, it
0: just <laughs> I think that kind of nails it right there. Is <laughs> not
1: a good technology. No, and, and and the funny thing is though that it's taking us this taking us this long to get to a point, and we're still really not there to be honest. I mean where's the generic all-in-one Bluetooth remote control? I mean, it's not there because most products, TVs and so on, still don't support low-power Bluetooth. And so maybe the Apple TV does and maybe our Apple devices, some of them do, most of them do now, but it's not ubiquitous yet. It's still a fringe... Well, fringe, is it fringe? Is that fair? Maybe it is, but it's still not popular enough. It's not ubiquitous enough. So I'm...
0: It's one of those things that that it's you know, it's, it's a feature, not a product, yeah. right? So you can't just how do you how do you put that on on you know, on the shelf at Best Buy or or I don't know. What do you have in what's in Australia? What's your what's your big box <laughs> retailer there?
1: Uh, it's Harvey Norman, I guess, but you know, they' Harvey, Harvey Norman. Norman.
0: It, but you know, it just a remote control is a product, but a what what kind of technology it uses is it's hard to
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean that yeah Maybe. sure yeah. I mean there are technologies that are essentially enabling technologies and there are technologies that are immediately yeah. useful in and of themselves with no other supporting infrastructure and yeah it's it's funny how much in a relationship there really is when you think about the original iPhone for example and yeah it was on uh, 2G was on it was on edge didn't even have 3G data on it and it needed to go to 3G with a GPS really for it to take off that plus the app store I guess but the 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 point being that it was still dependent upon the cellular networks to be built out with higher data rates. It was still dependent upon uh, an external ecosystem to become more powerful and more usable. But when that happened, it took off. And I feel like Bluetooth, uh, low power Bluetooth, is going to be very similar. Is that once we reach a critical mass of devices, there will be certain technologies, like the TV remotes, just a simple example, where it becomes. Oh, you know, finally we can do away with this infrared thing. We can have a truly intelligent remote with bidirectional communication and and remote set up on a website and all these other features that you know you currently can't really do, and that will then become right. a possibility. So that's that's you know, and, and iBeacon is another one of those things that's and what uh, e- is it eBay is doing with their uh, Bluetooth low power Bluetooth payment solution? That's all very very. Cool stuff. So it's like it's a taste yeah. of what's coming. Is that there is more coming? So, in any case, um, I don't want to go too far off the rails at this point. But I think we've <laughs> I think we've covered all the different iPhones and so on, and um, yeah. I think uh, I think we might uh, might wrap it up. Any thoughts about what might be coming
0: next that isn't getting a lot of attention, or just your take on it. I mean, it's, you know, not asking for rumor mongering, <laughs> but I like to, you know, I think it's worth thinking about because you're right. We're at this point again, I think, where it's, you know, the next steps aren't clear. No. And, and it was, you know, is this, you know, iPhone comes out and then like, well, here are these things it clearly needs. And then, and really, you know, when we got to like the 4.4S, like, okay, this thing is getting, you know, hardware wise, this is becoming feature complete. Right. And now the software and now, you know, and look at the five look at the A seven chip and that, you know, the the M7 and, and touch ID, right. It's like, okay, this thing is really there. Like it's, it's harder and harder to see what the next step is for me. And, and I think about, you know, uh, that I, you know, the, the, it, when is it good enough? And the fact that, you know, we're having, you know, real geeks are are starting to look at and maybe not buying yet, but are starting to look at the cheaper, you know, plastic phone, and recommending it, even though we all go and buy the, the, you know, the fancy one. I mean, that doesn't last forever, right? No, it doesn't.
1: The App, Apple have had and, their first mover advantage, but they do continue to, you know, outsell a lot of other phones, and it's it's a very good product. But the problem I think is once you use a phone for a significant period of time, you tend to. Well, there's two ways you can go. You can either be really hypercritical about it and say like you know i get i really don't like the sharp edge of the chamfer it's picking up scratches and so on and you know the glass gets hot or this section gets hot or it's too light or it's too heavy or you know the color's fading with time whatever it is or you can simply say well you look at this product and it works really well it does what i need it to do um i enjoy using it i love having it and um yeah it's you tend to tune out all of the a lot of people i think and even people that do get all all hypocritical about stuff they'll say well you know does it really matter i mean how can they really fix this and that's that's where you end up inevitably is it's like well what would i do how how can they make it better i mean the perfect example is touch id forget that they bought authentic a year and a half while they're about to go forget about that Did anyone seriously say before they... I think, sorry, before they acquired Authentic that that Apple would say, well, you know, we need a better way to do password unlocking on our phone. And most people would not have come up with that, despite the fact that... No, we're talking about 3D displays and holograms. that's what what people do. They think, oh, well, you know, it'd be so good if it had like a built-in projector or it had a laser keyboard that it projected on a desk. Something... Right. Like out there and cool rather than thinking about it from the point of view of what is it day to day that annoys me about this device that can be made better right. and that's well, and the that's, way to think about it, it
0: right and that's the yeah, you know, <laughs> we're ending on a good note here right because that that's what this this show is about and it's I'm glad you you know used the word uh being hypercritical and it's you know in it, the the healthy way to do that is it's not about tearing you know when we're complaining we're not even complaining we're talking about the the uh relative demerits of the five, five s's chamfered edge it's not all this thing sucks I just i want to trash it it's it's an exercise it's 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 us thinking the way that a product designer thinks because i mean what what we think doesn't matter. I mean, it's, it's it's who what the you know Apple industrial design team. You know those those are the guys that get to make those decisions. But we can we can learn from it and we can examine things like, you know that that are that are minute that the that that edge you know that chamfer there for you right. It has an outsized effect on your experience of the phone, and you know interrogating that is the same process that that leads you to come up with an idea like Touch ID so rather than than you know i mean and sh- you know sure the you know fantasy product videos are fun and and i know a lot i'm sure a lot of you know visual design and uh and uh film school students you know get a kick out of it but it it's ultimately just just fantasy it's not it, it isn't pragmatic you know it has nothing to do with the actual process of designing something exactly and if and it and it may be fun and and you know and fantasy is fun but uh actually you know what's what's i think a lot more rewarding is is really getting into the nitty-gritty and trying to figure out what makes a product actually useful
1: exactly and when when you are have a design problem that you're trying to solve the focus has to be always how does this help how is what I'm changing make this better? How am I addressing this problem in a way that gives me a better solution? And if you lose sight of that, then your eye is on the wrong prize. It's not about it's about focusing on what matters. And what you're trying to do is improve and solve improve upon a situation and, and solve a problem. And honestly, uh, it's all, it's it is as you say. It's fun to to sort of fantasize a bit and say, "Oh, it would be so great if we did this futuristic thing that they did in uh, what's the one they often quote, uh, Minority Report, with the whole visual interface and the holographic thing with the hands in the air." And then you right. think about ergonomically, that would be an absolute right. nightmare. It's a
0: terrible it's idea. Terrible. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's 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 the worst idea ever for an interface That's right. that. You you, sh- you should make sure that you never have full contrast. Yeah. That you're always going to be distracted. You're always, I mean, come on.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know. So.
0: <laughs> and you should and you should always have to have your arm held out at a ninety degree angle. That's do that that's for fifteen minutes
1: and and give me a call. Let me know how it's going. <laughs> because they see a person at the end of the day and they're like taking painkillers because of the pain in their arms and shoulders and lower back right
0: yeah meanwhile we're all getting you know a weird hunch from walking around with you know staring at a
1: screen that's two feet below us (laughs) that's Um, another good point yeah yeah so okay one of the things uh to i want to do with this with with pragmatic is every episode that we have a discussion on a topic there'll be a matching post on tech distortion that will be published it'll be provided uh as a link in the show notes for listeners to have a look at and review the idea is uh, to listen to the episode and go read the article if you'd like to see any more depth and it'll become available on the main feed on the main tech distortion site uh, once the following episode is uh, is out so that's the why I'm, I'd like to run it and uh, it also gives, gives people a chance to if they don't listen to the show to still read uh, the discussion regarding in this case Uh, the iPhone hardware evolution or whatever it is we're talking about each week. Right, yeah, and give you a chance to
0: refer back to a canonical document without, I'm sure, our random mistakes or cool my mispronunciation of aluminum. (laughs) Um,
1: Remembering, of course, that aluminum was the name of a product whereas aluminium is the name of the actual metal. Oh, yeah. is that it? So the patent, the patent okay. in North America for uh, an aluminium foil was referred to as aluminium foil, and hence the name aluminium stuck in everyone's minds because it started out being aluminium foil before it was used for aluminium cans. And I, I've just said it now twice. Aluminium. Sorry. <laughs> Gets into your head. That's sticks. the... That's the, the the plastic polycarbonate thing. It, it's, it's... <laughs> yeah, but the problem is the words sound so similar. So plastic polycarbonate, different number of syllables, different pronunciation, but right, aluminum aluminium, ugh, so similar. It's just one of those little annoying ones. But anyway, that's okay. You know what we're talking about. That's the main thing,
0: right? That's the thing. Yeah, it's clear. Clarity is what that's counts. It. So, if you want to talk more about this, you can find John on Twitter at John Chigi. That's J-O-H-N-C-H-I-D-G-E-Y. And it's the same on app.net. If you'd like to send an email, um, send it to john at techdistortion.com, and he'll respond and may read out your feedback on the next show. Be sure to let us know if he has permission to do that and how to pronounce your name. I'm Ben Alexander, and you can reach me on Twitter at FiatLuxFM. You can see show announcements and related materials by following the show account at Pragmatic Show on Twitter. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks, John. No worries.